You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and I have many friends that don't like me. And I'm Ari, and you can't take the sky from me. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Vengeance Factor and The Defector. Uh, but first, uh, you might notice this episode is a couple weeks late. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've uh, been having a, a comedy of errors uh, trying to uh, schedule time to record, and then when we get there to record either one of us might have uh, internet problems and so uh it's been frustrating it's every time one of us got our internet problems fixed the other one had another internet problem it's just been and every time we turn around we're like oh we have time and of course i work in a school and it's the end of the school year so i've been crazy busy at work it's just been nuts but i think we've got everything under control now right <laughs> i think <laughs> uh, yeah um I had been having for about a month some intermittent uh, packet loss issues with my internet, but um, I have been uh, checking that uh, pretty religiously. Um, I had one open that had been running for a couple days, and I just closed it, and it says I've only lost 19 packets in like two days, so I think I'm good now. Oh, that's really good, yeah. Better than before, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are, we're back, and we're going to talk about a couple episodes of Star Trek. But before we do that, let's talk about the uh, Patreon. Yeah, so uh, if you feel so generous, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash restofbothworlds. Uh, for $3 a month, you can uh, hear these episodes up to five days early. The $10 tier gives you the option for us to read your name at the end of each episode. Uh, yeah. Nobody's taken that one yet. Uh, all tiers get access to our Discord where you can submit uh, your own ideas for these small talks at the beginning of each episode. And, um, well, uh, let's get into the episode. So today we are talking about The Vengeance Factor. It is the ninth episode in the third season of TNG. It first aired on the 20th of November, 1989. It was written by Sam Rolfe and directed by Timothy Bond. It's going to sound a little weird this episode because we've recorded talking about this like two times before so yeah. we'll try and see if we can remember it but um so it starts off they beam into a very green room it's Pit just a green. very green room it was like it was like the wachowskis were, were directing an episode <laughs> of star trek it's very true though it was so green very dos green yeah and um, Riker and Worf are holding those little box uh, light uh, flashlights again with the wires that they're trying to hide. But because you've got HD uh, um, restoration, you can see them. But anyway, they find uh, there's a couple people. I don't, it's not clear. Are they dead or unconscious? I think they're unconscious. I think. Right, because it's like a, a Federation outpost that had been raided. Right. And then they find blood that's not human. So they know. Probably because they have a list of who's on the because because at first I was thrown off by that because Beverly's like, this blood isn't human. And I was like, that's so weird because you guys have so many types of alien species. But I'm assuming it was a human only outpost. It's possible. Yeah. Or she was able to identify because it had um, it was a mixture of both iron and copper based blood. She's like, well, there's only one species I know that has that the Akamarians. Right. And the Akamarians are a non-Federation world, but there's a group of them called the Gatherers, which are kind of like they go around raiding outposts. They travel from world to world, kind of, kind of a nomadic. Um, like the Reverse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Reverse. I mean, they, they definitely have like if the Reavers were like an 80s biker gang who didn't <laughs> eat people. 
<laughs> yeah. The 80s biker gang trope was very strong with this episode. <laughs> but anyway, it's it's kind of weird because as soon as they found out, okay, so the gatherers are starting to raid Federation outposts too. We got to do something about it. Picard like immediately goes to Akamar and like immediately convinces the leader of Akamar, hey, you've got to go talk to the gatherers and like bring them back to your society so they don't keep raiding our stuff. And I can understand Picard being concerned that they're being raided, but the way he goes about this, it, it feels very in violation of the Prime Directive. Yeah, it does. It feels so weird. He's like going to this planet that these people haven't even lived there for a hundred years, and he's like, hey, mm-hmm. this is your problem. Come fix it. <laughs> well, and not only is it your problem, come fix it, it's it's your problem. I am here to make sure you fix it. Right. Which- they're not a Federation world. That's actually not really his place to say. Um, I can understand, like, and there was a way to write that so that it wouldn't be so, like, lazy. Picard's just like, look, I'm here to make sure this stops. Uh, you could have just said, Picard's like, look, if they attack us, I mean, we can defend ourselves, but they are your people. You might want to do something about it. Right. <laughs> if yeah. you do, Uh, I offer my services as mediator and then you'd have basically the same story. But instead, it's just Picard's there to make sure this happens in a pushy kind of way, very pushy. So that felt weird. The uh, the leader of Akamar, uh, she has a um, a personal uh, chef who uh, follows her around. Who's this? Yuta. Yuta, this uh, blonde uh, kind of an ingenue type character we think (laughs) until it turns out she's super old yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um who Riker immediately takes to um but she's like kind of like very very demure very like subservient and Riker's like well that's not what I want I I I want somebody who would oh man yeah the whole scene the whole the the whole sexy scene between him and Yuta was something else that's where we learned that Riker's definitely not a top (laughs) no no he's no I don't he might be into uh, the bondage part, but I don't think he's into dominance and submission. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> As it turns out, Yuta is actually... Uh, I should back up. Uh, the species, uh, like, a hundred years ago, they were all involved in, like, uh, clan wars where any slight from one clan to another would just be met with, like, an increasing series of escalations and, and like, blood feuds. Right. Kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah. They've mostly gotten over that, but a lot of the gatherers are kind of just a holdover from that. And the gatherers were actually kicked off the planet originally to try and end uh, the the clan wars and they decided instead to go out and become assholes and discount maggie smith is not very happy about that but <laughs> yeah <Maggie> smith. <laughs> that's what she reminded me of the whole time what was her name her name was something stupid like maruk i think was her name i couldn't remember what it was because it was dumb but i was like i don't know she just she she was such a weird character because she i wanted had a very stage actor presence to her Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of the like when she's like arguing with the the gatherers when they're like trying to negotiate there's just a lot of like uh very over the top screaming that she would do that i'm just like this um <laughs> this would this would work better on a stage when people can't see you up close right because it's a very yeah because you have to overact when you're a stage actor a yeah. bit because you have to you know get that emotion out into the audience whereas we're very up close and personal with her we don't mm-hmm. need her yelling like that at us um i thought she was going to be the bad guy i thought that she had c- 
come and she was just like this whole thing was like a bait and switch and she was going to end up killing all the gatherers or something and I thought maybe Yuda was working for her. I did not realize till the end with everybody else that Yuda was actually um, the one doing all the killing. Right. So um, when they first meet up with the gatherers, there's like an older guy who dies of a heart attack. And but Dr. Crush is like, well, he had a strong heart, so I'm not sure what caused the heart attack. But we saw what caused the heart attack. It was Yuda because she touched she's his a, face. Yeah, we didn't quite know what. Face. And uh, it turns out uh, she's like over 100 years old and she's like one of the she's like the last surviving member of a clan. And she was uh, basically genetically engineered to seek out vengeance upon the uh, other clan that had wiped them out. And so she's been doing this for like a hundred years and she became a servant to the leader of Akamar to Maruk is her name, uh, specifically so that she could get access to find the, the last few members. And she has a virus. She's carrying a virus that is like, specifically tailor-made to kill members of that clan and nobody else so it's such an interesting like concept the concept of just carrying around this little microvirus that only kills the people you want to kill is so interesting it's a very um yeah it's it's a clever way to go about uh, assassination especially because it just uh causes a heart attack and if the doctor wasn't uh as thorough as dr crusher is you might just chalk it up to natural causes i mean uh, right if if beverly hadn't decided she was gonna like push and try to really find out what killed this guy like most people have been like eh, you know guy died of a heart attack you know kind of like kind of like the death note if you don't write how they die they just die of a heart attack and then like who knows if it was a death note that did it or if they just died right yeah natural causes so at the end Riker kills her (laughs) oh that scene is so weird it's so weird and it bothered me so much because there were so many other options than just killing her like it bothered me a lot my notes say in really big notes like really big writing what the there were other options (laughs) because i thought he was gonna stun her i thought he was gonna like and put her in the brig or whatever it is they do on star trek but i couldn't believe he just killed her he beams down and the first thing he does when he does when he beams down is shoot one of the gatherers like one of the guards because like they see him beam down and they like reach for their gun but he just shoots him immediately and i'm just like dude can you this is a a tense negotiation situation and you're just (laughs) showing up and shooting one of them right but then then he's just like oh and the way they find out that it's yuda is the stupidest thing um they do the uh, the CSI enhance on that photo, but the, like they only have like a partial look at her face from a historical photograph. So they just have to recreate the rest of it. And they're like, how can this be? I'm like, you could see one eye. What do you mean? <laughs> I know it was it was definitely the enhance and zoom in thing. And I was like, oh, no. So he beams down. And then is like, stay away from that guy. But she's like, he's the last one. Once he's dead, it's over. And so like he he shoots her like three or four times with like a low stun but i i'm i i'm guessing that she's enhanced enough that she can withstand like the lower stun so eventually he just sets it to vaporize her which i didn't even know was a setting (laughs) i'm just thinking though because i think the lightsaber has like 16 different intensity settings the lightsaber You mean the- <laughs> I've been playing Jedi Fallen Order, so I've got Star Wars on the brain. Okay. The phaser has like 16 settings. And um, 
you you would think because he only shot her three or four times you could think he might just step it up each time instead of going oh well she didn't get stunned the first three times not to mention she can't time. kill anybody but the one guy so anybody could have tackled her yeah. <laughs> or i mean there's lots of options here that didn't involve killing her and then like after he vaporizes her card walks over and he's like wow you just mur- murdered a woman who was of no danger to you shore leaf would you like to go on shore leaf it's <laughs> like there's a really really weird bit is that uh picard is in frame when yuda gets vaporized but because they wanted to do the special effect where she gets vaporized in front of him and they didn't just have her on a on a, a green screen plate superimposed they actually did like a, a a mixing of two different shots one where he just sat there and one where he sat there and she was there so because of that he had to basically stay still so he couldn't react when she gets vaporized. And oh, so it looks like he just doesn't give a shit that she's vaporized. <laughs> when it could that have been simple enough to just shoot, have her get vaporized on her own without Picard in frame. And then cut to a shot of him going, oh my god, right? Because he just <laughs> murdered her. And instead he just stands there and takes it like, ah, oh, yeah, that's a totally normal you yeah, know, he's response. Just, he's just sitting yeah. here the whole time like... <laughs> Honestly, the way Riker handled that, no, he should have been in the brig for that. He just barges into a tense negotiation situation and shoots two people. And, and it's all because he's embarrassed he slept with the enemy. Like, the person, <laughs> that's what it felt like to me. He was like, oh, goddamn it, another that. girl I slept with ended up being the bad guy. <laughs> I don't know. That was I was trying to figure out the reason he shot her. That was the only thing I could come up with. One of my other favorite moments of this episode, though, was when he and Deanna are trying the Aquaman dish that Utah mm-hmm. has made for them and all of a sudden Deanna realizes she's cock blocking yes and she just like immediately gets up she's like oh well don't mind me I, I was just going I was going on my way goodbye because- oh shoot <laughs> sorry didn't mean to be in the way I'll be over here you know I I, I feel like they just kind of have like uh, an unspoken thing where it's just like look anytime either of us are trying to get laid the other person we're just going to we're going to be there for them. We're going to make sure we can do everything we can to help them out in that regard. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll not only get out of the way, we'll be good wingmen. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I thought it was so funny and cute in its own way, you know? Like the other episode when uh, Riker told the uh, th- that one guy that uh, Deanna was sleeping with, he's like, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, she's a great woman, and uh, if you stick around with her... Um, she will do good things for you yeah so. she'll be the best thing that ever happened to you yeah i know it's cute to see them that way mm-hmm. because it should it feels like it kind of follows along gene roddenberry's like vision of the future where people can date and then not be together anymore and then still be decent human beings to each other because he seems to think we'll do a lot of things like that in the future yeah um, but i also get the feeling that Riker and deanna would you might find them they're like the couple that that's been looking at you from across the bar like you're about to get invited to a threesome. Yeah, they're looking for a unicorn. Yeah, I know those couples. Um, one of my favorite lines from this episode was, what's there to respect about a corpse? And that was when I was on Bill Paxton from beginning a Terminator side, because really, what is there to respect about a corpse? The person's dead. I don't, I, I, and it was their culture, right? To like raid that guy's stuff. Because yeah, as soon I, as he died, they were just like, well, there was nobody of his clan to claim it. So I claim it because I found it. They're like, yeah, go for it. You can take his stuff. 
Yeah, and like everybody else kind of looks around like they're so shocked that these raiders would raid. But I was like, yeah, no, I mean, come on, that's how they live, guys. But I didn't hate the motorcycle gang trope, guys. I actually got along with, I actually thought if I had to choose between one type of like relationship, like if I had to align myself with one or the other, I'd probably be more like the Magic the Gatherers (laughs) than than the main Guys, yeah. the Akamarians, I just I felt like I related to their lifestyle a little bit more. Not that I'm saying I want to raid and pillage and all that kind of stuff, but I kind of understood where they were coming from. They had been banished from their own planet, you know, like it was a war they didn't even start, you know, I don't know. I kind of was on their they side. They don't carry any airs, like they're just they are who they are. The, the, the Akamarians seem a little stuffy, but the gatherers are making jokes all the time and being right. pretty rude, but it's like, it's an honest rudeness. Right. Um, like one of the guys goes into 10 forward, steals someone else's drink and then just sits down with Wesley um, to have a heart to heart with him. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and Wesley is even surprised with that talk because yeah he's brash and you know he's putting his feet up on the table by the way that table had like a curved edge and i'm why would you put anything on a table like that <laughs> if it just slides know. over to the edge it could just like tip and fall but wesley surprised not only like the guys you know talking to him and being friendly but he's got kids he's like well you have kids he's like yeah i got one your age anybody could knock up somebody (laughs) wesley (laughs) honestly i'd be surprised if that guy didn't have kids getting pregnant is the easiest thing on the planet (laughs) yeah (laughs) that guy probably has kids he doesn't know about (laughs) let's be honest he's a raider (laughs) yeah i had the same thought but i mean i kind of and then he was also the one because he's the leader or whatever that was greatly offended that wesley a kid was flying the ship you know Mm -hmm. and then wesley was greatly offended he had kids and i was like this is such a weird back and forth but i don't know i really related to them more than i related to the akamarians the one thing i think i would have made a different casting choice uh actually the the guy who shows up the 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 initial one brule the one who's you know kicking his feet up and everything he takes them to their leader but the the leader of the gatherers did not feel like leadership material like i would have had the one that that reminded me of meatloaf the meatloaf one is that who we're talking about okay it's like meatloaf (laughs) okay i I would have had brule be the leader he seemed far more like the leader of the raiders he was a better actor like he was more under he was more believable in the role um than that guy than the meatloaf guy i don't remember what his name was um but i remember thinking oh this is interesting because yes i believed brule more than i believed meatloaf like anything that brule was saying essentially and i mean brule also won points for me for being reasonable enough to listen to and potentially accept the akamarians like offer to not kill each other anymore yeah, that was a, a thing where because they show up to open negotiations and first he's like mocking her and everything. But then he's just like, all right, everyone give me the room. And it's because he does want to hear her out, but he doesn't want to appear weak in front of the others. So and we like, had Deanna there to tell us that in case we hadn't yeah, figured yeah. it out for ourselves. <laughs> that was like the one time where it's like, OK, there's a bit of I understand why he's asking us to leave the room. And then she spells it out. For, uh, for, I know, uh, I know. Everyone. <laughs> One of these days, Deanna will spell something out that is like the exact opposite of what we expected that person to be feeling. Someday, someday I'm going to be like, wow, that was a good insight, Deanna. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I really did like that bit um, where Data's like, well, what I can see on the planet is blah, 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 blah. And then Wesley's like, campfires, Data, they're campfires. And he's like, 
is that not what I said? <laughs> like, I just thought that was such a, cause he's like, I said campfires just in my way. <laughs> and I thought that was so cute. That reminds me of one time when I was trying to explain to somebody what Doctor Who was about. And I was with another friend who was also a Doctor Who fan, but I was trying to explain the TARDIS. And because the uh, phone box is not the same thing as a phone booth, like they're different kinds of things. Like the phones on the outside, the box was so that, you know, you could hold somebody for the cops. Right. And we didn't really have those here in America. Right. I don't think we had police boxes. But so I was avoiding saying phone booth. But just as I was trying to describe it, eventually my friend's just like, it's a phone booth. <laughs> and I'm just like, I should have just said that from the beginning because it's yeah. close enough. Yeah. The, the distinction only matters if you're like digging into it. So yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. I, I, I have definitely done the data thing of over explaining things that could just be said as a campfire. It's a campfire. Doctor Who it's- flies a campfire. He flies a campfire. Yeah, and but I mean, get trying to explain it. There, and there's so many little nuances to Doctor Who, too, that you're like, well, it's a phone box, but it's not a phone box. You know, <laughs> what the chameleon circuit is stuck from the 1960s or whatever. Like, it's such an because there's a lot of things going on, you know, layer wise there, though. All right. So the next one we're going to talk about is The Defector. It is the 10th episode in the third season of... TNG. It played on the 1st of January 1990. We've made it to the 90s, everyone. It's the 90s, Kimmy. <laughs> Everyone's gay. <laughs> uh, it was written by Ronald D. Moore and directed by Robert Shearer. So is this Ronald D. Moore number two? I think this is Ronald D. Moore number two. There might have been others, but... Uh, he yeah. decided to win his way straight into my heart with a bunch of Shakespeare. And I was like, oh, yes, I love Shakespeare. Fun fun story about that. Uh, that's opening scene were with Henry V. Mm-hmm. That was actually, I think, they wrote that scene like two days before shooting, because before that, because it's data on the holodeck, they right. originally wanted him to do some Sherlock. Oh, yeah, but that then would they make realized, sense. Oh, that's right. We ran into legal trouble uh, for uh, elementary deer data, so we can't use Sherlock. Guess what? Shakespeare has been public domain for four centuries. That's so funny because I, my notes say, God, I love Shakespeare. And then it says, this reminds me of Wishbone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had a very Wishbone vibe to it. By the way, did you catch that Patrick Stewart was playing one of the two guys there? No, I didn't catch that. I saw he was standing off to the back as Picard, but I did not catch he was one of the guys. I was actually surprised they gave Data a bunch of Shakespeare lines because uh, Picard is a classically trained Shakespearean actor, right? Yeah, that's and that's actually why Patrick Stewart was playing one of them. He is like, oh, oh, if you're going to do Shakespeare, can, can I play one of the roles? And uh, he they put some makeup on him so, to kind of disguise him, and he uses his his native uh, Yorkshire accent instead mm. of uh, the uh, the the refined or not the refined what's the received pronunciation that he normally uses the his okay. theater accent. Um, right. So. You know, um, if you if you go back and watch it, you can tell pretty much immediately that it's Patrick Stewart. But the fact that they've got makeup on him and the fact that Picard is also there in the holodeck watching might be enough to have people go, oh, wait, no, that's not him because he's over yeah, there. It did, I didn't catch it at all. Well, then I guess it worked. But him nerding out over Shakespeare was so cute. Like, let's get mm-hmm. Picard in a room with some Shakespeare and a ship in a bottle. And that guy would be so happy. Like, he would just <laughs> sit there and nerd out over those two things. 
So the plot, what's other than Shakespeare, what the plot is. <laughs> the plot is that there is a uh, Romulan defector. Uh, the episode's named The Defector. Hey, there's the episode title. Um, Ta-da! <laughs> but he uh, 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 has a, uh, a distress call on the neutral zone. He's being pursued by a Romulan warbird. And so the Enterprise comes and like beams him aboard uh, and then gets on their side of the neutral zone. Um and he says that he's got like inform. He says he's like a, a low uh, ranking intel guy, but he's got information that they're uh, the Romulans are building a an attack base in the neutral zone, and he wanted to prevent a war, so he wanted to warn the Federation about it. Right, but it turns out it was all a trap. Well, we'll get there. Uh, everyone's <laughs> like, okay, well, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. For starters, he sets his uh, ship to uh, self-destruct after they beam him over so that they can't study any of that. He's like, well, no, I'm not a traitor to Romulus. Uh, I I just don't want the war, so I'm not going to let you get any of our secrets. Which doesn't exactly make him trustworthy either, though. That's that's the point of the episode is, can you trust this guy? The whole time you have to wonder, because I wondered the whole time, like, is he is he real? Is he not real? Is this a trick? Like, and I thought it was really good writing Mm because it kept me in like engaged in whether or not he was truly telling the truth and whether or not we should believe him, because that was the whole point. Picard couldn't decide whether or not he could trust him because they don't uh, he doesn't have any like proof of it. He didn't bring any like records. He's just it's just his say so. And the planet that he's you know saying that there's a base on well they, they've scanned it and they can't find any evidence of it right. and so um it's just you know it, it obviously with uh, the romulans i mean they've got cloaking technology so they're, they're considering well it could be cloaked it could be hidden we think right. we would be able to see evidence anyway but it's just one of those things and then eventually um he uh reveals himself to not just be a lowly uh, uh file clerk for like the intel agency he's actually an admiral who right. has uh, defected to do this and um well, that doesn't actually help his case because they're like wait they, they look up his name they're like admiral Jarrock, dude you like did like a, a massacre at this right. like one one site like that's it's <laughs> not helping your case much why why are you uh coming here and saying oh let's stop a war when like dude you've done you've done horrible things too and uh, he says that uh he had a daughter and uh once you have a kid he said looking into her eyes he said i want to make the world better for you so that's when he decided, OK, I, I got to I got to stop the Federation Romulan uh, uh, hostilities. But unfortunately for him, the Romulans knew <laughs> the whole time yeah. that he was uh, having these thoughts. And so they fed him that information to see what he'd do with it. And uh, he took the bait. As it turns out, there was no base on that planet. Romulus did have a little. They had a little probe there, so there'd be a little faint, like Romulan signal uh, in orbit of the planet. But yeah, there was nothing there. And uh, uh, Tomalak shows back up. We saw him in the last Romulan episode, and he shows up, and he just like is there with two ships, gloating about how uh, he's going to have the Enterprise as a, um, you know. 
mounted uh for display on romulus and right uh, yeah and, he was being real rude yeah oh yeah he's, he's, <laughs> he's being very he he feel, he's like i've got you dead to rights you're in the neutral zone so you violated the uh, first and we could just blow you up but then like picard has been anticipating uh, this kind of a double cross the whole time. And so there was like one line about uh, 20 minutes earlier in the episode where they got a message from some Klingons and Picard tells Worf to uh, take care of it in another room. And so we get the payoff for that is that three Klingon birds of prey decloak and surround them and they're like, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> do you think you're still outnumbered now? Yeah. I thought that was great. That made me really happy. I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, it kind of read to me, though, because there was only the one line of it 20 minutes earlier that they were like, they got to the end of like, okay, how do we, how do they get do out of this situation? It? Yeah. <laughs> okay. How, what if Klingons show up? Okay, well, we got to go set that up. All right. I'm just going back to page uh Thirty. I just wrote down just message, from the Klingon, sir. <laughs> <laughs> message from the Klingon, sir. Message from the Klingon, sir. Yeah. Everyone in this episode doesn't know how to pronounce the word "sensor." Uh, everyone in this episode doesn't know how to pronounce the word "Jarok," the, the the name of the Romulan. There's like three or four different pronunciations of his name depending. Is on there? Who you I didn't ask. catch that part. Uh, the um the the admiral that Picard keeps getting messages from pronounces it Jarok. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I'm just like, can you not write it phonetically in the script for the actors to read? Usually they do that stuff. And so that they... reminds me of Magic the Gathering. There's a planeswalker named Garrick, G-A-R-R-U-K. Okay. And um, so many people pronounce it Garrick, and so many people pronounce it Garuk because R-U-C-K is the last four letters or whatever. And then it finally came out in the Magic the Gathering video game, and it was Garrick. But everybody still says Garuk. <laughs> no, not even. I would say Garuk because Garrick to me is the best Cardassian character in Deep Space Nine. So oh, I, I'm not going to uh, to to let. Uh, him share namespace in my head with with someone else. Now I'm wondering if I have it backwards too, because it's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I really liked the writing in this episode. I uh, and I mean maybe I'm giving Ronald D more and more credit than I should, but I felt like I believed the Romulan because of mm -hmm. the way that he was written. Like I could, I had the internal debate that Picard was having. There wasn't any like, oh, he's obviously bad or he's obviously good. Or I was having the same debate with Picard and not knowing. And I felt like the writing was really strong because of that. Yeah. Um, and and uh, you, you definitely feel that he has his own motivations, obviously. Um, and he hasn't been forthcoming with everything. So it really does uh, make you have to question, you know, is he, uh, you know, are, is he leading them into a trap? And I think like mm -hmm. early versions of the, the script, it turned out he was like just, you know, lying to them to try and bait the Federation into a war. This is so much better, though, because like not only was it it's turned more tragic out, this way, it's yeah. more tragic. Yes, it's very Shakespearean. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because uh, at the end, once Jeruk is like, well, uh, I just burned my, uh, my career for nothing i will never be able to return home and you know he just goes and takes a uh a an echo wafer, an echo wafer uh, um suicide pill we had seen it earlier and i had written down i wonder what that echo wafer does 
I was going to say it's like a communion wafer, but. Um, uh, so do we ever get to see them deliver that letter? You know, I was just going to uh, bring that up because, uh, yeah, they, uh, he writes a letter to his family, but they comment. He's like, he, he must have known that there would be no way for us to get it to them. Because it would be in Romulan space. Yeah. Right. And it's not something that he, you know, I, I, I still think, oh, couldn't you, like, send a transmission or something? I mean, the Romulans would probably intercept it, but, like, at least it would get there. But... They say, well, maybe not today, but maybe someday when after the hostilities are over, we'll be able to deliver the message to them. And uh, I, it never comes up again, but maybe I have someday to at some point that message, that letter got delivered because the uh, situation with the, the Romulans changes quite a bit over the years. Um, I mean, you've seen the movies, so you remember yeah. in the the J.J. Abrams Star Trek 2009 Spock came from this universe to the JJ verse uh, after Romulus got blown up. So that's right, yeah, yeah. So obviously that that might uh, put the Romulan Empire in a bit of a disarray. Oh, oh! They name dropped my favorite Shakespeare actor, and he hadn't even done my favorite roles by that point. But they named off Kenneth name dropped Kenneth Branagh, and I was so excited because he's my favorite Iago. Yeah, uh, he had like just directed. Um, God, what was it? Um, he had like just had a uh, 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 a Shakespeare had just, movie come out, and I think it was Henry V. Actually, I looked it up when I watched the episode. I think it was Henry V. Had just come out with Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Because he wasn't Hamlet until ninety eight, and he wasn't Iago till ninety five, and those are kind of his two big, big Shakespeare roles that everybody knows. But so I looked it up, and I believe it was Henry V. Is is what had just come out, so it fits, you know. <laughs> and when they were reciting the Shakespeare before I googled it, I was like, man, I wish I could tell what play this is. And I was like, but I don't recognize it. And then it turned out to be a history. Well, I don't. I've only read the histories through once. Who reads those over and over again? <laughs> uh, isn't no, I guess Hamlet's not really a history. No. It's fictional. Um, I really was excited about the name dropping the Kenneth Branagh, but I was just excited about the Shakespeare in general, mm-hmm. especially the way that they brought it back in at the end. Um, oh, yeah. Picard, like, multiple times is just quoting Henry V. And, yeah. Because uh, the, the, the scene that they play out is one where Henry uh, poses as a, a commoner to mingle with his soldiers before a battle. Right. And Picard even, like, muses to Data later in the episode. He asks Data how uh, the crew is feeling about the situation, and Data's like, can't you tell? And he's like, unlike Henry, uh, it's not as easy for me to disguise myself and mingle with the crew. And I'm just thinking, well, just put on your Yorkshire accent and and put on a fake nose. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody will notice. Yeah. Um, There's another part where they introduce the holodeck to the person. And like, basically, he's like, this is my home now. And I was like, yeah, me too, buddy. If I was ever introduced to a holodeck, I'd be like, thank you. (laughs) Well, actually, no, he actually, well, he turned it off. He's oh, like, that's right. He did. That's right. The, what he called his home now was once the holodeck was just the grid. Just he's the like, grid. No, yeah, he's like, yeah, no, the the you know recreation of Romulus is like, well, I'll never be there again. This isn't for me. This is my home now. 
a black right okay so i'd be the opposite i'd be like hell yeah i live here now thank you (laughs) can we bring a replicator in thanks (laughs) um i'm pretty sure you can just have like replicated foods just directly in the holodeck like because basically the whole holodeck is just a replicator right yeah pretty much yeah there was a really good line that i liked that was i will not risk my crew because you think you can dance on the edge of the neutral zone i thought that That was was a great great line line, yeah Yeah. (laughs) i really liked that um i don't no, I loved this episode. I and I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm blinded by it being Ron, uh, Ronald D. Moore. But I didn't even know it was Ronald T. D. Moore till after the credits, and I have an entire page of notes, and then it says RDM <laughs> when I realized it was a Ronald D. Moore episode. So I was loving it before I realized it was Ronald D. Moore. But I do wonder if I put on my rose-colored glasses when I realized it's a Ron, Ronald D. Moore episode because I like him. I don't know though. It was a good episode. I thought. Well, I mean, and it's. Keep in mind how TV is written. It's never just like a single writer writing the whole thing. Obviously, they've got a writer's room and right. they'll like have people. How, do you know how that works? Like, so let's say, because you know how episodes are usually credited to one person, right. but they have the same tone and the same ideas and they're carrying through themes from three episodes ago. So, how do they decide who the person who gets the writing credit is credited? Well, usually. Uh, episodes will be hashed out in the writer's room and then they'll assign one person to write the script, but they'll still have notes and they'll have the story blocked out from from different things. So like everybody gathers around and brainstorms this thing and then they say, okay, this episode Ronald D. Moore is going into his room to write it. And then you have script supervisors who probably go through and make sure there's a consistent tone between all the writers and, you know, the writers write multiple episodes. They're in the writer's room. They all work together. I mean, I'm just checking... Uh, this episode on Memory Alpha, and it said that the the script was actually done in two phases. Uh, Ronald Moore said that they threw out his first draft and then uh, gangbanged the second draft, uh, which is <laughs> that they had like a, a, a bunch of people writing different parts of the uh, of the script. So uh, it's you know it, it, yeah. it is a gr- it's a group project. It's a interesting. Group as a writer, as somebody who writes a lot, I can't imagine doing that kind of writing. It's so different than the kind of writing that I do. Yeah, but I my think, writing's uh, very solitary. Writers Guild rules require that you just have like uh, one uh, credit for writing, or like two credits if it's a writing duo. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why you'll often see like with movies, you'll have screenplay by. X and then story by and you might see a bunch more names and those might have been people who wrote previous drafts or, or contributed a bunch to the script but not enough to be the lead writer so it's, a, it's an issue of who says, contributed what to the script how much and, yeah and okay that makes sense because I'm assuming when I see something like um, you know story by that means the it was their original idea but the writer took it and turned it into an actual script right it could mean that uh, it uh, sometimes story by is like you know six names and one of them might have been well i want this thing in the story and that was the only part of the story that they contributed to it but <laughs> okay. because they're in the wga they get a credit it's interesting uh, yeah it's it, 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 it the wga rules for crediting things is weird uh don't fully understand it but that's uh yeah oh i got one more thing uh when uh uh, Jeruk is in sick bay having his burns treated. He is like sitting there insulting Worf the whole time. Mm-hmm. 
and he uh and then i think he's using a bunch of uh klingon uh pejoratives for Worf, and then riker gets him to shut up by using a, a romulan pejorative but uh the first insult that jeruk uses for Worf is patak which oh. um basically just becomes the default klingon insult for the rest of star trek do we know what it means as a kid i thought it meant coward but it can't because uh, they throw it at each other so casually, but if you call Worf a coward, he will just kill you. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it probably just means dumbass or okay. <laughs> fool or some, some, something like that. It has the same vibes as the Russian word durak, which means fool, but you say it more like dumbass interesting okay and so this is kind of the episode where that was established this is the first time we hear patak and interesting uh, I, I like it it's a good i wonder good if insult. they even really thought about it or if they just came up with a word that sounded like klingon like because mm-hmm. i i wonder that with things like scruffy looking nerf herder like does lucas actually know what a nerf herder is and what they look like or did he just make up a funny sounding word right and i and so it makes me wonder if they knew what they were doing with patak or if they didn't know what they were doing i with think patak. a nerf herder is the person who has to go in and pick up all the darts after a, a rousing game of of a nerf you know, after all the after you fired everything, you have to pick up all the little darts. And that would be yeah. the nerf herder. Yeah, I like that. That's that's good. <laughs> I assumed there was some sort of animal out in the Star Wars universe that was called a nerf, but I, I we've just never even seen it. <laughs> I bet there's an answer on the internet somewhere. You know what? I'm checking Wikipedia right now. <laughs> they are kind of like a, a bison creature. Oh, interesting. There's lots of bison type creatures in Star Wars, though. Yeah. It's a uh, nerfs are a species of furry, non-sentient animals raised for their milk, meat, and hide. They can be found on a variety of planets across the galaxy, from Alderaan to Lothal. So basically, like a basically like a cow herder, yeah. Yeah, they're just they they they, they look a lot like bison. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I think that's it for today. So thanks for joining us. I'm Ari, and I'm Gayfesh. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.